Hello, I'm horror cartoonist Dennis St. John. I draw monsters and write twisted tales. As you can imagine, I was a little obsessed with Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Lucky for me, so were most of my high school friends, all except one. One friend who stubbornly refused to join the Scoobies. So here we are, 20-some-odd years later. I'm teaming up with Doc Travis, John Teach Landis, and maybe a special guest or two. And we're going to make our friend, Michael Poli, watch one episode of Buffy Week until he's no longer the Buffy Virgin. Hey, uh, welcome to Buffy Virgin, a spoiler-free Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast. Uh, We're going to try to get through this one without crying, because it's Season 5, Episode 16, The Body. Uh, I'm your host, uh, monster and dead mom expert, Dennis St. John. Um, We have with us a reoccurring friend and guest to the pod, Audrey Zindler. Hi. (laughs) Thanks for coming on on this uh, special episode. Uh, and why don't you guys, the rest of you, introduce yourself from most recent to least to talk to your mom. I just uh, was hanging out with my mom pretty recently. Uh, she and my sister came here to the UK to visit and uh, we hung out. We took a trip to Wales, which is beautiful. Can't say enough good things about hanging out in Wales with your mom. Sounds great. My name's Travis and uh, I uh, talked to my mom last weekend. She's doing great. Back in Ohio. Uh, my name is Michael. I saw or talked to my mom like four or five days ago. So last week sometime. Yeah. Just checking in. And so, uh, I've not seen Buffy except for up to season five, seven, episode 16. So uh, I don't know what happens after this episode. My name's Audrey. I talked to my mom the week her father died, <laughs> which was quite a while ago. Uh, quite a few months ago, not, not big mom talker here. So we text occasionally while she sends me a prayer text every single day, sometimes twice a day, but I refuse to respond to those. I only message back when she actually asks me how I'm doing or says something normal. And then I'm like, Oh great. Yeah. Communication. That's acceptable. Let's talk to my mom now. (laughs) So it's kind of, Yeah, I talked to her some. (laughs) All right. Uh, (laughs) Thanks for sharing. Um, uh, So before we get into uh, the body, uh, let's do reactions for season five, episode 11, Triangle. Um, All right. Uh, So over on YouTube, we have uh, Kapa Nagoi. And sorry, I know I butchered that name, said, um, I think that Spike is specifically written as funny, menacing, creepy, overly dramatic, and obsessive from the first episode he appears in season two. And James Marsters just makes him insanely charismatic. So the scene with the mannequin is supposed to make you laugh and cringe at the same time. That's the exact emotion the scene is supposed to evoke, just like uh, with his sexual innuendos when when he confronted Buffy for the first time. His alternating menacing and pathetic posture with Willow in season three and season four, etc. Um, and uh, let's see, John, since you were just in Wales, why don't you tackle this next one? Okay. Uh, Durant Thatcher. Uh, if we say your name wrong, by the way, you can tell us because we've been trying to do these. Some of these, some of these commenters comment a lot. We've been trying to do their names for a while, so they should just tell us if we're saying their names wrong. <laughs> I feel bad. Yeah, you should. Sorry, you should read the, the full oh, thing. Oh, it says right there. Oh, my gosh. I'm an idiot. Okay. 
Anyway, um, Garrett, there we go. Garrett Thatcher says, the episode is about Anya's victim coming back and he's portrayed as the bad guy. Her body count is larger than either Angel or Spike and it's played for laughs, which is weird. Anya did order Willow's death in Doppelgang Land, so it's understandable if she dislikes Anya. Lol, and the name is Welsh and it's pronounced Garrett, I think. Um, yeah, so yeah, if you go to Wales, you will not be able to say the names of any places or people <laughs> that you meet. It's a really big problem. Uh, when you're like, I was like on the phone trying to like uh, get this like backcountry taxi to take me somewhere. And like the phone is cutting in and out because you're like, you're in like the, out in the hills. And I'm trying to say, um, uh, read for dog. I want a taxi to read for dog. And he's like, but they do like you try to spell it, but every other letter cut gets cut out because it's bad cell connection. <laughs> bad news. That was a stressful <laughs> phone call. Anyway, uh, Garrett. 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 Now we got it. Yeah. Yep. Um, and uh, Renee uh, at Renee Oz uh, has a lot. Um, she says, uh, top five summaries. Hashtag Triangle Man. Uh, so good job there. Uh, and says, uh, the, spy, uh, the Spike stuff was always creepy, and I don't think it was uh, written for laughs. I think the writers were constantly trying to point out that he was still a bad guy. I totally disagree with it being uh, Hughes-esque. The audience refused to come on board because Marsters. Um, I've always viewed Buffy's need to view demons in a black and white context as a natural progression of the show's analogous relationship with maturity and growing into adulthood. Uh, this is why we see such a shift throughout season four and beyond. Uh, I think that's a good analysis. And um, in my honest opinion, the best Jack Black is Tenacious D Jack Black, uh, which is true. Uh, I can give or take uh, movie Jack Black. Uh, Gulliver's Travels was a lot. <laughs> uh, yeah, we had a brief Jack Black discussion in that episode. Audrey, how do you, where do you stand on Jack Black? Yay or nay? Uh, he's been funny before. I can't say I've never laughed at him. I, I, I think I like some of his songs, like the funny songs. Yeah. All right. More, more than the acting, but I don't know. Like Tenacious not, D era, Buffy. Um, I'm sorry, Jack Black. Yeah. Everything's yeah, Buffy. Not, <laughs> I can't, Im I can't, remember the last time I laughed at him <laughs> so. all right uh, so let's do the summary the summary All right, let's do Great Lines. Great Lines. Uh, Audrey, start us off. If you can. So, yeah. <laughs> I just went right out the gate because it just, it's probably the opening, the opening scene just gets you really bad. And just listening to Buffy say, Mom, Mom, mommy, it's just, it's very psychologically powerful hearing her regress as a child saying mommy 
And she kind of, through that whole scene, goes through so many things like denial. And then eventually when she finally says the body that is like finally making it real, it's it's very powerful and very cry facey. Mm. (laughs) So... Yeah, that was uh, going to be my great line if you hadn't picked it for exactly the reasons you say. I'm right there with you on that. that yeah. No matter how many times I see this, that 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 moment is a lot to handle. Yeah. Uh, I picked uh, Willow's freak out of like, why do all my shirts have stupid things on them? Why can't I dress like a grown up? Can I be a grown up? Um, I promise I won't talk too much about my own dead mom too much in this episode but that was like um uh when i was like waiting like waiting at my mom's like bed um i was wearing uh a mystery science theater 3000 t-shirt and i somehow got like chocolate stains all over it and i was just like what the like am i a fucking baby like (laughs) you know like i have chocolate stains all over my like mystery science theater 3000 shirt checks so i actually went home and I drove home and I walked the dog and I changed my shirt and my mom died on the way, my way back. So she died alone because of my like obnoxious t-shirt choices. And then my decision to freak out about it. Um, so sorry, I, but these are the kind of things I'm going to bring up throughout this episode. Probably. Um, John, why don't you throw us one? Well, um, I, uh, Anya's talking about, uh, you know, I was having fruit punch and I thought Joyce will never have any more fruit punch is one little line out of an amazing uh, speech that I think we're going to talk about more later. Uh, but just uh, the whole paradox of Anya being sort of the wisest, but also the most childlike in the episode is a weird detail that is cool and strange and uh, very moving in an odd way. Mm-hmm. It's kind of it, it mirrors Buffy's uh, opening reactions very well because Buffy was avoiding saying the word body and the Anya from the very front get-go is like what what about the body are we gonna see the body so they had complete opposite uh initial reactions on how to try to deal with this and work it out but they're both in very childlike states of like why why won't anyone explain this to me That's, that's I think that was a good moment for uh, like Willow and everybody else to kind of get a different perspective on Anya and have a little bit more empathy for her, which is interesting the way they brought that in. Um, I, I liked when Buffy was uh, in the beginning, she was Giles had just shown up and she's like, Giles runs over to her mom and, you know, starts trying to do CPR or whatever. And she goes, Giles, don't, you're not supposed to touch the body. And then like she chokes up because she finally said the body, like what the, uh, the ambulance personnel were saying and what uh, the 911 caller instead of my mom, you know? So that was, and, that, and that's this crazy moment where she's like, you know, she grabs her face and stuff like that, I think. So, but I like all the other lines too. They're great. And I also really liked Anya's line. So I'll just continue part of Anya's line. And she'll never have eggs or yawn or brush her hair. Not ever. And no one will ever explain to me why. Yeah. 
There, there's so it, it was hard to do great lines for this episode, partly because I think our entire framework of dealing with Buffy doesn't apply well to this episode. <laughs> like it's yeah. just it's, it's such an outlier. Um, but also because like this episode is so sparse in terms of dialogue. Like there it's there's so many long periods of silence, and for a show that is usually so verbal and communicates everything so verbally and so chit chat all, all that. Uh, this this episode is almost entirely done through like uh, ambient sound and through visual cues. It's a really different episode. Yeah, and there was some, the there were humorous lines during the Christmas flashback, but like, right. are those best lines just because they're funny? <laughs> yeah, really like the band can down. band candy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's almost just like about the funny, yeah, or pick out pick out the funny as something to talk about, just because the rest of the episode's so powerful. Yeah. Uh, and before we jump into that, let's do a quick kill count. The kill count. Um, because I refused to acknowledge that Joyce died last episode, uh, I'll count it this episode. And uh, one vamp uh, via Bonesaw decap. Uh. All right, let's jump into the weird noticings and trivia. Weird noticings. So this episode, um, I didn't realize how different it was, of course, until uh, the very first moment. <laughs> and there the moment when Buffy is trying to, you know, the, the camera really follows Buffy to go grab a phone and call the, you know, ambulance 911, whatever the case is, uh, where I'm expecting the show to cut away. I keep expecting it to cut away and it doesn't that like cutting away would have relieved tension and it didn't relieve tension because I was anticipating it. And like, I think I, I think I started crying immediately in that cause it was like the reality of it that you know, the show was wanted me to think about and deal with the death of Joyce and not to move on to another conversation. I think I was surprised by that. And that that turned out to be very powerful as a scene because of the way my brain associates, like how they cut and the movement of the show and to have that change, like in the editing style was very powerful. And the fact that there was no music to tell me what to think mm-hmm. and very little sound. Gosh, such a powerful way to open something. That one, that one really got me from that first part uh, where, yeah. you know, continuing the scene from the last episode where Buffy finds Joyce's body. Yeah, there's these these sound effects that they use that that just like <laughs> really, really, really pop in these weird moments. Like um, there's a moment, the moment where Buffy's on the phone uh, with 911 and the car drives by and the sound of the car driving by is way louder than it would normally be. And she catches her attention. She stares out the window for a second. You hear the kids playing outside, like right after she's cleaning up her vomit, like there's you hear the kids playing outside, even like later in the episode when the camera sort of weirdly moves out the window to catch uh, Xander getting a ticket. And just like the ambient sounds of the world just keep like intruding and it's not background. It's like it's just this constant like reminder that the entire world doesn't care about what's happening, which I think is one of the cruel things in that moment. Uh, and you know when you have these moments in real life is that like the world doesn't stop and like 99% of the world doesn't care uh there's all these little these little details that keep reminding you of that and like the vampire is one of those things right just like this reminder that like nope world's still going 
gives me chills. Yeah, I thought the chimes were very surreal sounding um, during the vomit scene. And just when she opens the door, everything outside is happy. Kids like Mm -hmm. splashing in a pool in a band and like laughing and just looking at the lighting. The lighting in this whole opening scene is very bright, which is different for Buffy. Um, Yeah, Joyce's makeup in this episode, so good. Um, Those are definitely two things to comment on. (laughs) I I think my favorite part, I think my favorite scene in the whole episode is when Buffy opens that back door and then she looks out and there's this great like moment where she's just she's just lit like a thousand you know she's lit with like a, the whole football field's worth of lights on her and like she looks so sickly and so sweaty and pale like that that's always my mental image like if i have to think about i don't I'm, when i was watching this again i didn't really i mean i guess i sort of remembered Joyce being on the couch and stuff. But when I had remembered like moments of these episodes, like that's, that's my mental image of the episode. Like, hmm. like, you know, in my mind of like, that's like the most important thing I remembered about the episode. Uh, I love the direction on the paramedics in general. I like to come in, they're kind of going the wrong direction. They need to be told what's going on. You know, she's over here, but there's this weird student film vibe that kind of threw me really early when they chose to cut off the paramedic's face, whoever, you know, cut this or put this together. So they're initially talking to the paramedic and then like the paramedic is kind of telling Buffy what's going on and the face is cut off. It's like it's a the frame is like the shot is lowered. So the head is out of frame. There's a screenshot like, of it in the document if you're. Oh, thanks. If you want to check that out it's at the bottom. Yeah. So the student film kind of vibes on that one, like rub me the wrong way where I felt like what before felt like very artful choices. That one was so deliberate that I, it kind of like snapped me out of the, the the emotional state I was in. And I was like, Mm. Oh, I'm watching a show where people are making choices to try and manipulate my emotions. But I understand emotionally what they were doing, you know, is kind of like how detached Buffy is feeling from other people and the information is not relevant. And, you know, like that same thing with the, you know, the world, all the sounds of the world, but it's still like, uh, it, it bothered me a little bit and I, I could do without that choice. That felt like it's a little student filmy. In addition, uh, there's some other choices going on where I think, uh, Buffy like characters are, they, she's hearing them say something different yes, and like later, they're, on. later on, I guess it's later on. I mean, we can get to that later, but like, I mean, some of these choices are just kind of bizarre. All right. I haven't exposed my crazy setup now. I have to. You're going to see like my reality over here. I'm not trying to like, uh, hey. <laughs> uh, yeah, anyway, it just felt that felt off to me. And I, I don't know. what did you think about that choice when you saw it? Did that kind of pull you out of it or it might be too sensitive to the, uh, the well, I here? think you're definitely viewing it from a guy who made a lot of student films. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but I, you know, I, I feel like this is such a, um, Joss Whedon doing an experimental episode and trying to um, make a non Buffy Buffy episode really, or like, um, you don't make, uh, so I think, you know, some of those choices land and some of them don't for you. And that's, you know, I, yeah, I guess in that I'm seeing a film, a, a, 
a TV maker, not a filmmaker, I guess, like making TV in different ways. It's taking me out and it takes me out in that way where I'm like seeing the hand of the author, I guess. I, to me, I it think, works. I, yeah, sorry, go it, ahead, it, okay. it, it works for me too. I kind of remember that moment when I first watched the episode and seeing it with, when I was much younger <laughs> and I liked it. And I remembered like a lot of this episode doesn't absorb in when you watch it the first time. Cause you're just dealing with the shock. But in that moment, it it's more talking about Buffy and how she's probably just watching the lips move. I guess it kind of put me more in Buffy with that choice of filming just mm -hmm. from nose lips down because like what a, you're not really there you're not really seeing everything so you're just watching the lips move kind of stuff and she was kind of absorbing it she was listening she repeated some of what he said later so I don't know I yeah. liked it yeah I think I mean you know your your emotional reaction to it is your emotional reaction to it I think you know Michael what you're saying makes a lot of sense that like it, it is a little bit more artistically heavy handed than maybe some of the other things that we see in the episode. And I could see like, it's like, I can see where you're coming from. Um, but I really, ha I, I screenshotted this because I really like this shot. Uh, and it, what you say, like, it's sort of like, she's sort of zoning out. She's not quite with, with him. And it communicates that really effectively. It's from Buffy's point of view, but the, the thing, and I don't know if this screenshot that I took, it communicates it very well, but the, the, what I think is going on in this shot that is really, to me, really chilling is that what's happening is, Buffy's looking, she's staring at the space where the body is and she's staring through this guy's chest like he's blocking her view, but she's staring at that. And it's, it's more clear when you watch that, when you watch it in motion, that that's what's going on. Hmm. Um, and that just like on a symbolic level, on a visual level, on an emotional level, to me, that really works. Um, but obviously, I see where you're coming from. No, it's just the strangest choice. I mean, it. I think all the everything you're saying is right. Like I, I agree with like the the emotional weight that it carries, but yeah. to drop out of the conventions of filmmaking. I mean, this is not right. the first time that Joss has done this or the show has done this, but it just uh, it surprised me because I feel like for me it cut. And I, I mean, this is me, but like I feel like it cut out of the emotional build of that sequence a little bit. You know, we went this this episode has uh, one of the most amazing scenes uh, I've seen on the show so far and it, but it's not this scene for me and like, but this, this build that kind of cut it off from what I felt like was building to emotional climax with Giles showing up. And like, that was just like a weird thing, but this is a great, it's a great show. It's really well done. I really like this episode. Okay. We <laughs> uh, <laughs> start from a place of, uh, I love this. Okay. <laughs> Nobody's jumping on you, Mike. <laughs> I'm imagining all these critters on me. Hold on. <laughs> uh so just uh don's art teacher just to me was like a oh, classic art teacher uh i've had this art teacher many times um what about that art teacher's classic oh the i mean even the assignment the like we're going to draw negative space and instead of describing like the mechanics of that i'm going to talk about my like half-boat philosophy of it and it's like what I want from an art teacher is like for you to explain like what the actual point of this assignment is not for you to give me your philosophy, but 
that's not what like a middle school art teacher is there for. <laughs> no, middle school is a simulation of learning. It's not actual learning. Oh then we have to explain things. Uh, yeah, so sorry. <laughs> uh, this Buffy Dawn scene where Buffy tells Dawn about Joyce from the beginning of that scene where Dawn is crying in the bathroom with her friend and like fretting about a boy and like looking freaked out to like this end of the sequence where it's, you know, we're looking from the perspective of the students as, as like Dawn kind of hits the floor, you know, this is an amazing sequence. Mm -hmm. This is one of the strongest sequence I've seen on the show because it did something so magical. It put us in Dawn's shoes, but like Mm -hmm. actually put us in Dawn's shoes. I don't feel like I, I think I felt empathetic to Dawn one other time, which is when she was freaking out when she was discovered that she was the key and she like slid her, you know, wrists or whatever, or, you know, cut up her arms and says like, am I real or whatever? Like that was amazing. But that also like I was jumping into that feeling this, like I get to coast along, totally get into Dawn's perspective when Buffy shows up and I know it's going to happen. And so the show and the show knows it, but I can take the time to feel like what Dawn's life is like kind of before you know, the art teacher moments like painting negative space. There's a boy near me who's identifying with me and maybe I, you know, my own negative feelings like it just does this great job of getting in that perspective and then twists it. Oh, yeah. it's so awesome. It's also really the first time we, it's the first time we've seen Don's school. And it's I think the first time since we've seen her writer diary where we followed her outside of the Scoobies at all. Uh so it's like a little glimpse of like her life outside of the Scoobies, you know, the, the, the sense of like, I, I don't want to call it suspense cause you know where, where it's going to go exactly. But like the sense of anticipation in that scene, because you know, what's coming from the, like from the, like as soon as you realize that she's not crying about her mom in the first shot, you like, you know where this is going. Um, and watching, then you see Buffy kind of like out of focus, come in to the shot and kind of like sneak up on her. It's like, it's like watching jaws or something. It's just you can see you can see the inevitable disaster. You can see the inevitable like monster of like the reality of this thing, like just kind of like come and slick swallow her up um, and whip. Ah, it's yeah. It reminds me of I mean, it's like a thriller, like a suspense movie, yeah. right? Where you like know where the payoff is coming and but you don't want to see it. Uh, I saw this Roald Dahl film uh, last night or this TV series Tales of the Unexpected and like guy makes a deal with the devil. The devil, you know, this devil character is like going to cut off his finger if he can't light his lighter 10 times in a row. And like a 25 minute show and the guy's just going to try and light his lighter. and He's nervous. And people like, don't do it. You know, I'm like, I can't. I was the tension's unbearable. (laughs) The guy just lighting his lighter. And that's how the scene is just like that intensity. Ugh, Peter (laughs) Laurie. Audrey. Um. Yeah, the, this whole scene with, I don't think Dawn's friend is a very good friend because you write in uppercase letters, a foot tall sign right next to the guy. He can look over at any time and she's angling it and says, he's into you. I mean, it's, it's very embarrassing, um, a bold, embarrassing move by the friend. Yeah, D- Definitely middle school level of subtlety. <laughs> it's a simulation of love (laughs) simulation of relationships uh so one of the requests or one of the conversations we've had on twitter with um 
at Dingo Action, where we started talking about pre pre actions instead of reactions. Um, uh, so like wanting to make comments before we filmed the episode, and I was like, well, the next episode we're gonna film is the body. And uh, Dingo Action was like, I don't actually have anything to say about that episode. But um, Megan Megatron at Unique Megan had some pre-actions. Um, so she said, uh, I'm sure you'll have noticed, but it's the first uh, on-screen kiss uh, between Willow and Tara. Apparently the WB wanted it removed and Joss refused to do that, saying it would be a natural reaction for Tara to do so. Um, uh, agree. But why wasn't it a natural reaction before now? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm glad we get the kiss. I'm not trying to like, you know, poo poo it, but like, it's also, they've been together a while. This is the first time. Just saying. Yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of crazy that (laughs) they're like, they've been together for like a year. This is, this is the first kiss. kiss? Yeah. Wow. It's not really noticeable in the episode because like, yeah, you're not, it's not presented as a big deal that they kiss. It just happens. Cause is it because it's, it's like not a, it's not a sexual kiss. Is that why we're allowed to have this one? No, oh, maybe. Uh, so when uh, Willow and Xander hug, uh, when they see each other, I really like just Tara and Anya like being awkward during that period. Like, mm-hmm. They don't know each other well enough. <laughs> what do they do? What do you do? That whole scene uh, with with the Scoobies fans, Buffy together it was very much tara on the outside looking in uh through a lot of it and i i kind of liked how they kept focusing on her facial expressions which is even more impactful later when you realize tara's already lost her mom so she's kind of been through this in a weird yeah. way. And now she's seeing it from a different perspective and watching everybody else around her. It's yeah. I, I have a question. D- didn't we know that Tara had lost her mom already? Did we forget that? Or did the Scoobies never ask that? Because when her father showed up, right, it was her father. And when the, that her mother didn't show up. I mean, did, didn't we know this, that her mother had passed away or do we just not, uh, I can't, I mean, I can't I think remember all of, the, all of the clues were there, but it wasn't, yeah. was it never wasn't stated. Ex- oh, it was never explicitly stated. Okay. But, uh, I, <laughs> it might've been stated in that they talked about her being a demon and like, yeah, I don't think we, we still don't really know Tara's whole history and what happened with her mom, but she died with the assumption of being a demon. We just knew, we just know her cousin became a spectacularly famous actress. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I just say that the Scoobies are all, they're, they're good friends for coming to this, for doing this. Um, you definitely, you know, cause they don't have to, this isn't like the job to just come to the morgue for this. Uh, so yeah. The the folks who show up right after your mom dies are like the people who are there for you, you know. Uh, so it's like for me, it was uh, uh, my aunt and cousin. They just like came down from came up from San Francisco real quick, and we're like in the room and everything. Because uh, you know when you're, it's like not everybody's living also close enough to do that. But uh, anyway, 
Uh, is Xander a southpaw is my other question because he punches <laughs> that wall with his left hand. Let's get to the important issues in this episode. <laughs> yeah. These are yeah. the things we've all been wondering. Has he been the left handed this entire time? Maybe he just saves his left hand for emotional outbursts so that he can keep his right hand, you know, ready for fresh and carpentry carp- for ready for carpentry. Yeah. <laughs> How many, I guess the bigger question, what's the wall count in this, in this series, right? <laughs> <laughs> we've got wall count. We've got window count. I mean, Riley was destroying a cave. Yeah. Uh, correctly. <laughs> and I think, uh, what's her name? Glory punches through like steel yes. beams and stuff. Or yes. Yeah. She punched beams. down a, a, a warehouse or something. Yeah. Yeah. Is this like a carpentry profitable business in Sunnydale? (laughs) Oh my God. I always remember when, um, my favorite of the room destruction things is when faith. Is it Buffy or faith? But one of them tricks the other into running full steam into Joyce's glass door. Mm -hmm. That's like a solid, like door destruction right there. But is it like a, is it like some sort of like ritual that, that people used to punch the wall? Like it's, I don't know. It's like a trope, right? No, who? Yeah. Who hasn't punched a wall? I haven't. actually. Yeah, me neither. Really? Never? No, I mean, I've done other destructive things, but the wall punching, no. Yeah. Broken shingles, but that's random. I did kick a door in. But there were other circumstances. <laughs> <laughs> I punched a wall. Yeah, it's not hard enough wall. to put a hole in it, but definitely punched <clears throat> a wall. I repaired a wall that had been punched. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Repa- I repaired glass that had been punched. Yeah. <laughs> also. Swept up. We could probably do the whole episode just cataloging interesting shots and interesting moments. Uh, I just want to do one here. Uh, in the waiting room scene, uh, Buffy and Tara, if uh, you can, there's a screenshot of it if you want to look at it. Uh, you know, one of the sort of film school things they tell you is that like uh, things that are too self-consciously uh, symmetrical are really awkward. And I feel like this is a, an example of that being deployed on purpose where you have this incredibly symmetrical shot and there's all this space in between Buffy and Tara. And it's in this moment where like the whole, it's a really great scene. It's a really interesting scene. Uh, Cause the kind of the point of it is that they're not super best friends, but that's what actually weirdly enables Tara to be probably more comforting than anybody else can be. Like she shares her own experience, but the fact that it's at a distance and the fact that they're not super best friends, I somehow makes it work better. I don't know. Anyway, Really like that shot. I also liked how in that scene, she just kind of dropped off. She didn't finish her sentence. She was trying to offer, like, if you need someone mm. to talk to, but she didn't even finish the sentence. It just was like, uh. It's like she realized there's not really anything she can do and just left it. Well, I think she knows more than anyone else. There's nothing anyone can do or say. And she still finds herself doing and saying the things that were probably done and said to her. So. Also, I think it's a more normal, real human thing. I find myself struggling with, I stop talking mid-sentence a lot where I just feel like, ah, oh, you know how this sentence ends. Right. You get it. I don't have to keep using these words. Uh, okay. This may be the wrong time for this. I don't know. But uh, did the actress playing Joyce have another show to be on? Uh, was this planned all along? 
I mean, clearly it was seeded earlier with the, uh, you know, brain tumor or like having Joyce go to the hospital. But like, did she also have an exit strategy? I think it's been planned since at least season three. Um, I know from like interviews with uh, Christine Sutherland that she wanted to leave the show at season four. Uh, and I think she moved to France or something. And that um, Joss told her, like, you know, you can leave for season four, but please but come back for season five because we're going to kill you. Um, it also sounds like talking with like like the way she talks in interviews, it sounds like she felt pretty done with acting. Like she said, she almost quit acting before she got the Buffy job. So she definitely wasn't moving on to a new show. Uh, but I don't I'm not worried about her like not making it as an actress. I think she's made her like decisions. Yeah. I just have just brought her up on IMDb. There's a handful of credits for her stuff. I have never heard of, uh, after Buffy. Um, except she was, uh, apparently did a voice for grand theft auto five. Oh, she's like, this is important. I'm coming back. <laughs> well, now I got to replay to listen for, you know, listen for Christine Sutherland. Yeah. <laughs> She's not voice acted in the video game, is she? I feel like the Buffy video game that we played the other day, Travis, like there's no, there's no, there's no moments. we didn't, we didn't see Joyce in there. No, it's all Giles yelling at Buffy to shoot at the vampires. Yeah. <laughs> Use the crossbow. There should be like, um, like a Joyce timer, like get back home before Joyce notices you're missing. uh audrey you have the next one here okay um so i did also like the transition uh into when into the morgue when both dawn walks in and uh when buffy goes in because the lighting again just changes it's very cold very cool colors like a bluey white light um Nothing warm left in there at all. Uh, the lighting in the morgue is great. Uh, I thought it definitely changed the mood. And I did think that it was kind of nice for Buffy to have a break <laughs> and fight a vampire. <laughs> because that's a tough day. And to give her something to fight, probably you know, gave her some, something to do. Yeah. I felt like in the scene, I feel like in that scene where the Scooby gang is together and like Xander punches a wall, whatever, like that whole scene felt like, Oh man, this next scene should be them fighting vampires for no reason. But like, it's not what happens. Uh, yeah, it's definitely a little bit satisfying to see a, a monster appear in this episode, but that was one of the more scary vampire appearances too because dawn's all by herself why she decided to lock the door behind her uh, <laughs> like going in uh and just like that's a good point i never thought about that <laughs> why is there even a massive bolt so that you could lock yourself inside the morgue with the bodies like why is that even an architectural consideration this is sunnydale we need locks <laughs> If I have to be a devil's advocate, if you're recording, oh well, they would would they be doing autopsies there in the ho- in the hospital morgue? If they're doing an autopsy, maybe you don't want anyone interrupting because you're recording it. I don't know. 
Uh, I don't know. Does Travis have an answer for this That's stupid bad. question? <laughs> <laughs> it it um, yeah some some yeah you can definitely do autopsies in the hospital. Um, the the weird the weird thing is that it would be unlikely that it would be the the same thing as like the county coroner. That that's usually not you don't usually take him to the hospital, but this is Sunnydale, so maybe it's all in one place. So that that was the odd <laughs> part um, that they took took Joyce to the to the the morgue at the hospital. Um, but it also seemed to me like it was all happening too fast. Like yes, yeah. It, it it seemed really fast and yeah because like we didn't get an official cause of death from on my mom until like after the funeral and everything but yeah yeah you know. it was all way too fast that was one that was one of the inconsistencies but also like the 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 year on year turnover of staff at at the in the morgue if there's just vampire attacks that occur randomly. Like you couldn't keep you couldn't keep that staffed. People would have just died. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you know for sure that the hospital that the people doing those know about vampires and have like <laughs> a vampire like. Yeah, but they didn't have any stakes around. <laughs> if they knew about vampires, there were no stakes. <laughs> yeah. That's where they hire so many interns. There you go. That's 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 how they get through it. Just a lot of interns. Yeah, like anybody's accepted for this intern program. <laughs> I like how the vamp got beheaded. That was great. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's a much more brutal way. It was so satisfying. Yeah. <laughs> I know that makes me sound like a monster. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I'm full up of just, just stabbing a, a wooden stake in somebody's heart. I mean... She had him pinned on the ground and was just, it was great. Um, yeah. Oh, I also, this is interesting. I, I, I uh, watched the episode in black and white because watching it in color was just too, too distressing. Hmm. So I, I turned down the color on the, my TV. So it was black and white. And it was like, it was very satisfying and a lot easier to watch. I've heard of people doing this to make their phones less addictive, that you set the screen to black and white so that you, it like, supposedly like you don't get the big dopamine hit when you look at your phone, but you're like, you're saying black and white for less emotional impact when the emotional impact of your media is just too much. Did it work? Yeah. I mean, there was lots of episodes like where I just couldn't watch the screen. Um, but you know, I, I mean, it, it, it cut out a lot of the visual noise, which is great because there's not a lot of audible noise. So it was like a really chill episode. Um, but I get, it definitely cuts out visual noise when you black and because a lot of the colors were distracting. And also by making it black and white, it like it tricks your mind in, into believing that it happened a lot longer ago than it did. Huh. So it, well, at least in my mind. So you can like trick your mind a little bit like so it's less. Like, help uh, you disconnect. Yeah, yeah. That's a so, good trick. Wish I would have thought of that. <laughs> I, I was like, I can't watch this in color. Effing <laughs> hell. <laughs> I like, paused it. I watched like the first two minutes. I'm like, I can't watch this. But go back, if you have time, go back and just do that for like five or ten minutes and like just see. It's, it, it, it's kind of, it's, it's definitely a trip. That's interesting. I, I've done that for like uh, the Indiana Jones movies. I've played them in black and white. Cause I'm like, they're supposed to be like old cereals. Um, 
But I wasn't trying to avoid emotions on Indiana Jones. <laughs> <laughs> I just can't handle it this time. <laughs> what, what do they say? Kali Ma? What's, what are they screaming? Kali Ma. Yeah. I was like, there's no time for love, Dr. Jones. Uh, all right let's do questions for the group questions for the group Uh, we already answered mike's first one about are you a wall puncher two of us are the rest of us are not (laughs) yep all right so i had a question and uh, in the first scene, Buffy has those fantasies of everything working out. Uh, the fantasies of, of Joyce being revived are utterly heartbreaking. Uh, when they go back to the scene, have you ever been in such a desperate situation that you've had a flash fantasy of a positive outcome? Yes. I feel like I'm much more likely to do the opposite where like the absolutely worst case scenario flashes before my eyes. Uh, that's, that's where I am. I do that all the time. Worst case scenario. The world is falling apart around uh, me, but I've never uh, had like a positive flash. <laughs> often like if I'm in like an awkward situation, like I'll picture like what's the worst thing I could possibly do right now. Like what if I'm having an inter- terribly awkward conversation and then I just punch somebody. That would make it so much worse. Um, which between that and the wall punching is making me sound really psychotic right now. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I have these, uh, these kind of fantasies about um, things going fine or thing being able to sort of save the day or save the moment. Usually not necessarily like at the time so much as like well after the fact. So like I will sometimes get so carried, like when something really horrible happens, I will, you know, like in the, in the few days afterwards, will get so carried away sometimes my fantasies of, uh, oh, well, if I just could have done this, this, and this, that I almost start to feel like it's okay. <laughs> because, like, I've, you know, in the fantasy, solved the problem. Yeah. Uh, I've done that to myself a few times, and then you're like, oh, no, but time travel's not a thing, so knowing yeah. how to solve the problem doesn't really help me now because it's already happened. But you know, human memory is so fragile. If you just rewrite the story enough times, then that's how it happened. Right. I do that kind of thing where you're thinking when it's too late, but I do that reviewing conversations and thinking, what could I have said to be more oh, awesome? <laughs> what, how could I have been more badass by, you know, that would have been a good comeback. Why did I say that? <laughs> but yeah, like but when I you're editing genuinely... a podcast, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. if I do, you ever do that, John? Do you ever add uh, redub? I don't. Like... I've never added anything yet. I have definitely <laughs> taken things out when I thought I sounded like an idiot. <laughs> no, definitely the whoever's editing the podcast always sounds the smartest. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone else sounds like idiots. I love it. <laughs> I edited out all of my ums and ahs, but kept yours. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's just how he talks. <laughs> for realism uh, yeah I definitely have all the fantasies that were mentioned both the negative fantasies of what's the dumbest thing I could do to hurt my uh, hurt my social life or like my professional life right now that goes through my head and I don't know why yeah uh, then there I have the I messed something up what should I have done thing that goes on 
And that's a really intense one because that's the one that I like in terms of like looping stories. It's like that will loop uh, until I'm exhausted of the what I should have done thing. That'll go on for like weeks. And then it takes just like bringing it up to re-trigger like, oh, let me go through that one again. I don't know what I feel like that's gotten way more intense as I've gotten older, like the regret for something. But I think it's because I you live long enough and you see the impact of your words or your deeds. And so you know that what you did really hurt someone or the impact on your personal professional life is kind of unknown, but definitely negative. And so then it's like, oh, yeah, let me how can I correct for this? Oh, there's nothing I can do. (laughs) I'm just some people are just going to think that about me now. Great. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I I don't want to be specific because it's so stupid. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. I think that's all our questions. Um, so let's get a little themey. Um, I just thought like for kind of a deep <clears throat> stuff ish, uh, that it's interesting when Buffy switches into the third person, uh, disassociating when she speed dials Giles and. Giles is trying to be like what's going on and she just says she's at the house and like the switching out into third person just another layer of not being there it's another part of the whole trying to process what's happening while it's happening um, which I thought was done very well so at the middle school, the art teacher uh, is up there teaching the lesson and the thing she says about like, remember, we're not drawing the object. We're drawing the negative space around the object, which Dennis, as you pointed out, is kind of like a comically uh, <laughs> uh, middle school art teacher thing to say. But I do think that that is a little clue as to this episode's uh, maybe aesthetic strategy mm-hmm. for, for depicting tragedy, which is that um, it never I mean, there are moments of just the actors doing, I, I think, a remarkable job most of the time, just acting out grief and, and horror. Um, but the, I think some of the most most affecting moments in this are the moments where they choose to really focus in on details that are like just to the side of tragedy or just like these weird little things that put together create the outline of it. Yeah, the, like the shirt. Know, the the, the like, shirt. Yeah. The, you know, the vomit soaking through the towel, the holding the, just the close up on the phone. And like, you can see Buffy has a bandaid, like weird, these weird little details that somehow like it adds a sense of realism, but it also like, it, it gives you that sense of like, um, uh, like heightened senses that you have in, in a moment like that. Like I know that, that for myself in like moments of like really extreme tragedy that for whatever reason that, uh, your brain goes into like record mode. And you just remember every detail of those moments in like this really cruel way that your brain's like, nope, you're not gonna remember your phone number uh, or like your friend's email address, but you will remember the texture of the towel you were touching when this thing happened. Like that thing that this episode does is so effective. Yeah, thanks, John. Um, so I just. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I just wrote, uh, you know, when a, when a person becomes a body, cause like, like the episode is not the body and the, the episode ends with, with Buffy saying like, that's not Joyce anymore. That's, it's just a body now. And, uh, um, you know, I, you know, that's something we could get into if we wanted to, but, uh, uh, it's definitely a thing that happens when, um, 
not to objectify people, but when a person becomes an object, right? Um, and uh, the thing that's strong about like Joyce's body has such a huge physical presence in this episode, like you know her face and the the makeup and every it, it the show constantly comes back to shots of her body, which is really intense. Um, and uh, I don't know, it's just like um, by this by the time my mom died, she was so small that it's almost like her body already like stopped to exist at that point. Like um, when my dad came into the room after she had passed, he sat on the bed she was on cause he didn't even see her body. Cause it was like so small and almost invisible. So it was like almost the opposite of Joyce where it's like her body has incredible weight. That was like <laughs> throughout. Uh, uh, but the, yeah, but something's gone and you can't, you can't be put back in. Uh, as uh, Anya says. Uh. Yeah, I don't know if I agree with what uh, with Buffy saying that's that's not Joyce. It's just it's it's a it, it's just is it is it just a body? That's right, just, I don't know the exact. Yeah, word, I don't, yeah, I don't know. That's kind of that's kind of harsh. I'm not sure I agree with that that sentiment, but I think every person is going to have their own sentiment for how they how they would deal with death. So. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't think that myself. That's not how I think about it, but. How, how do you think about it? Well, just. Um, Sorry, I, that's I, putting I, you on the spot. <laughs> well, I wouldn't necessarily sort of disassociate a person from their, from their physical, you know, body. But, you know, someone can be passed on and that person is still right there. Um, I'm, so I'm not, I don't know if. I'm not sure I get what the wordplay that that Joss was going for. Like, I'm not sure I understand the point of the, that wordplay to me. So, you know, when somebody passes away, it's they're not just a body now to me, you know, because you got to treat you treat them with respect and you and you bury them or you do whatever they want, you know, cremate or whatever their wishes were. But it's not like you are careless with that person anymore. So that's why I'm a little bit. Oh, yeah. I just, I'm just not sure I get what they were going for. I think Don was really obsessed with seeing Joyce's body. Um, she kept trying to ask. Like she was not ready to believe that it happened, that Joyce was actually dead. And then she has that moment where the sheet is pulled back because of the vamp fight. And then she's faced with reality and she's just in that moment trying to catch up with stuff that Buffy did in the very first scene. And Buffy just is kind of like, she's already at the acceptance point. And I don't, I don't know if it's that she's like throwing it in Don's face or trying to help Don come to reality. She's like, she's not there anymore. That's just the body, you know, I don't know. It's, I kind of came about it that way of like Buffy's already had time to accept and Dawn is just starting to needed physical proof to see and try to accept. Um, yeah. I feel so eloquent on this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Join the club. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I did write down the, um, yeah. 
Anya speech at Tara's. And I don't know. I feel like we kind of talked about all of it. And if I try to say it, I might cry. <laughs> but, um, I, yeah, that, that definitely hit home with me. <laughs> I think that that's probably to me, the best, the best speech or best lines in the episode come from that almost, you know, and it's also like Anya is such a great character. Oh my gosh. But it's also, you think a bit weird because Anya was once human, right? Then turned into a demon. Right. And then it's like, she's lived so long as a demon. She forgot how to be human. That's kind of like how the episode treats her. She can't relate to being human anymore, which is interesting. But her speech is like perfect because no one understands death. I mean, you don't have to be a human turned into a demon, then back into a human, just regular people. I mean, I don't think anyone ever is really going to understand death. And it's such a great, uh, great speech that she gives. I like how you positioned her as a demon too, because, you know, one of the exciting things about Buffy is you have humans understanding the supernatural for the first time and reacting to the supernatural like it's crazy. And then to have Anya, who is a supernatural character, reacting to the human world like it's crazy. I mean, you just said it perfectly where it's like uh, mutual alignment on the insanity of death where both humans and demons do not understand it. Um, but also on you not understand the emotions that are caused by it and, you know, where Joyce, I mean, it, it's really a beautiful speech and like really allows for that. It makes sense with that character to, to feel that way and like being cut out from other people who are not helping to explain what has happened. Because it defies explanation. Oh, it's so good. Uh, now no one will tell me why. Why did she go? <laughs> I got to tell you, when she talk, started talking about that Joyce will never have any more eggs, I started craving eggs like a <laughs> madman, okay? Because I, I eat eggs every day, and I'm like, that's going to be me someday. Someday I'm not going to be able to have my eggs. <laughs> And I was like, whoa. So you know what I had for breakfast today? Eggs. <laughs> what did you do, scrambled? I, yeah, well, yes. It's, it's, a, uh, it's like a sloppy scramble. <laughs> I always have those, these morbid thoughts that are like, um, one day when I watch the movie Willow, it will be the last time I watch the movie Willow. And I probably won't know while I'm watching it. That it's going to be the last time I've seen. I may, I may have already watched Willow for the last time. No, he's seen plenty How of things for the last time. How many times have you watched Willow? <laughs> I, you know, not even that many. It just, you know. <laughs> but that's the one movie. That's it. I, or you know, anything. You know, at some uh, probably not Willows. I'm not that sad about that. I could I could never <laughs> see that again. That's okay. But someday I'll watch. You know, The Measure of a Man for the last time, or uh, some other Star Trek episode. Uh. Stupid Dakini. <laughs> so, somewhat off topic. Whenever I watch this episode, or I just get like so frustrated that all these amazing actors like didn't really go on to have much of a career. Like I'm like, how is this like such an amazing series? These amazing actors, and it's like this is like what we got, which is amazing. But it's, so in some ways, it's almost like. There's like a death of youth because this episode's so old. Like they're like these actors, their prime youth act of acting is like gone now, which is just they're not they're still young folks. I'm don't I'm not I'm just being a little bit dramatic. But 
yeah, I'm just sad. Like they can't get this gang back together. Together. Uh, Nicholas Brennan was on Pinata Island, right? I mean, there was few like other... two years after this. That was not. That's not recent. I think he I was know. still on Buffy at that point. Oh, oh, he definitely still was. Wasn't it like surprise or death surprise Pinata Island? It had it had a couple names. That's what we couldn't figure out the title. Ugh. I mean, Amber Benson. You know, she's still making movies. Thank goodness. The Nightmare Gallery. New release. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, before, before we just continue on, uh, let's jump to the next segment, which is recommendations. Recommendations. Um, so there is like so much dead mom media. It is... <laughs> In fucking sane. So instead of driving me, industry, instead of me recapping all the dead mom <laughs> media that exists, um, I'm just going to recommend a podcast called "Don't Tell the Babysitters Babysitter Mom's Dead," uh, which is hosted by Brittany Ashley, who is the co-host of uh, Angel on Top, uh, which is the Angel podcast that uh, spin spun off from spun off from Buffering. Um, so Brittany Ashley uh, lost her mom. And now she does this podcast where um, every episode she interviews somebody else who's a member of the Dead Mom Club and then does like a quick review of some Dead Mom media. Uh, Season two, episode two, they did Buffy. And I made the mistake of trying to listen to this episode on a plane. And then I started ugly crying, like the kind of like like pain in the throat where you can't stop it crying in my flight, like on my seat. So I had to walk to the bathroom. I had to turn off the podcast and walk to the bathroom and be like, to get <laughs> to get the shit, you know. Uh, so it's a good mm-hmm. podcast. I like it. I recommend it. Um, and then um, I don't want to recommend any Dogma ninety five movies, but I just wanted to like briefly talk about them a little, just because I feel like even though the body is not obeying Dogma rules, I feel like it's influenced by them. Because um, so uh, Dogma ninety five was a set of rules for filmmakers that Lars von Trier created, right, John? Yes, when he was drunk. Yeah, that uh, was to to bring like naturalism and realism back to cinema and um, to like attack the studio system or some pretentious shit. Uh, but one of the rules is like um, you couldn't use any like uh, sound created in post or any soundtracks. Um, and so this episode doesn't obey that totally, but it's influenced by that. And another is like... Um, you know, no artificial lighting. The lighting has to be that what would, what would be there on the set. Um, and just the extreme lighting in this episode feels like it's playing like the playing with this. This movie is not, this episode of the body is definitely not a dogma film, but um, I think it's taking some ideas from it. So I just thought it was <laughs> worth mentioning, but I can't really recommend a dogma movie. Honestly, um, there's some good ones. Do you have any? Uh, Festin, the celebration, uh, uh, that is a harrowing movie to watch. Really difficult, but it's good. I mean, it's a good movie. Uh, also there's another one called, um, resin, which I think doesn't get talked about enough. That one's really good. Cool. I haven't seen that one. Thank you, John. Yep. I have a possible episode recommendation cause it's, I just finished, I'm watching Veronica Mars with, one of my best girlfriends, Mr. The Virgin's uh, wifey. 
Um, <laughs> she's she's been on this podcast before, but yeah, yeah, bit, yeah. So me and her get together once a week to watch shows, and we've been through a bunch of things. But I've never not actually never watched Veronica Mars, and we're in season one. And the episode that we just finished is one where one of the guy's mom is dead, but he doesn't believe she's dead. And they're tracing uh, credit card purchases. And guess who appears in this episode? Willow. <laughs> um, she pop, uh, She's one of the characters. And that's kind of a surprise to see her, uh, the actress, in this mm-hmm. episode. And when he sees her, that the reality hits him that his mom is actually dead and he can't um, deny it anymore. So I just told you guys the whole episode, but I don't remember the name of it. I'm, <laughs> I'm a bad Veronica Mars viewer. Uh, yeah, Willow and I, Cordelia are both on episodes of Veronica Mars. And they, really? even have a, they even have a scene together. Okay, yeah, I haven't seen Cordelia pop up yet, but I was really ha- happy to see Willow. <laughs> cool cool um i'm also going to recommend uh hereditary and midsummer which uh are two kind of newer horror movies uh both directed by ari aster uh that both deal with grief in really interesting ways uh they're both really good movies by this upcoming like good director definitely i'm definitely going to follow them with uh, or him, I think, with uh, his next movie. But uh, they both deal with, like, somebody lose it, loses a, a parent or more in, like, the beginning and then follows. That sets the tra- trajectory for the rest of the way. And they both, in very different, interesting ways, have people dealing with grief because there's a thousand ways to deal with grief. Um, uh, but they're also horror movies, so they have, you know, decapitations and other things. Uh <laughs> Grief with decapitation. Yeah. <laughs> <Hooray>. And bears. <laughs> we, had one, we had one in this episode. <laughs> we, yeah. yeah. No, no grief stories <laughs> complete without a good decapitation. All right. Uh, so that's recommendations. Why don't we move on to predictions? Virgin Predictions. Michael, uh, at the moment, you have a 64% overall. And for this season, you are at a 68.97. So getting up there towards 69, dude. So let's take a look. Uh, There's a couple of things that maybe we could talk about this. Uh, There's a lot that we're going to talk about. So season two, episode 11, Michael, you predicted that Ted... The robot will not reappear. I just feel like we should have brought that up last episode when we did the Buffy robot. Because uh, Ted got yeah. brought up, and I think we forgot to bring that up. I, I I think, as far as I'm concerned, there is no compelling reason why Ted could not reappear at any moment for the rest of the show. I think this remains open. I just mean that, uh, like, Don brings up Ted. Uh, oh, true. But he doesn't reappear. All right. Which he may at any time. <laughs> Uh, okay, <laughs> let's get, uh, let's get down to business here. Uh, in season two, episode 22, you predicted Michael Joyce will die. And so she has. 
Congratulations, Michael. Your prediction is confirmed. Are you, you happy? monster. I anticipated this reaction that I would be uh, that stones would be thrown at me because of this prediction because I made it so with my predictions. And also you predicted that Giles slash Joyce will not coordinate further on Buffy's schedule. You predicted that in season three, episode six. Joyce will not have fruit punch or eggs, nor will she coordinate with uh, with Giles on Buffy's schedule. So that is also confirmed. Again, I hope you're happy. Uh, this is an interesting one. In season four, episode eight, Michael, you predicted that Buffy will have a Thanksgiving episode in season five. Now, what we have in this one <laughs> is I wasn't clear on my on the couple watchings that I did because I couldn't bear to watch this more than twice. Um, but I wasn't clear if this was Thanksgiving dinner or Christmas dinner. I believe is this anybody... is Christmas. Why would yeah, they be talking, talking about, about Santa? Well, because Christmas <laughs> is coming up around Thanksgiving. It's might be a pre-Christmas discussion. Is anybody clear on what, what holiday that is? It, it seemed to be very... fair. There was there was pumpkin pie there. Yeah, Wait. that yeah. There's pumpkin pie. There's turkey, but there's also a ham. I think it was Christmas. It seemed like because the the Santa thing got brought up of like. Ooh, are you looking forward to presents? Like not. Right. I have uh, to review that scene because uh, I feel like it might be a festival mashup. <laughs> if it is Christmas dinner, their presents would have already been opened because you open Christmas presents when you wake up. That's a good point. <laughs> Although it, it could have been a Christmas Eve dinner, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. We also don't know how things are celebrated in the Summers household. That's true. <laughs> uh, so I would call it denied is my feeling. Is anybody, anybody, are you is, watching is this Mike, right now, Michael? Is Mike reviewing this in real time? I, uh, yeah, I am right now. Right. Any definitive clues? Do we, do we want to pause I mean, while you There's watch Christmas the decorations yeah. fucking everywhere in this scene. This is <laughs> okay, Christmas. Yeah. There's little Santas in the background here. Yeah. Okay. So in that case... There is no all, more Thanksgiving. I get you. So this is not Thanksgiving. Okay. So it's denied. So it's denied because if this is already a flashback. Is yeah. yeah. Thanksgiving is fast. Thus, this is denied. Although it does bring up an important part for our international audience, which is you can eat pumpkin pie at any of the fall or winter holidays without it being weird in the U.S. Okay. Uh, season four, episode 10. Michael, you predicted that Tara and Willow will kiss. And they have. So that's confirmed. Well done. It's amazing. It took more than an entire season for that to be confirmed. Okay. Uh, Michael, as a separate prediction, you predicted uh, in the season four recap that Tara and Willow will kiss on camera in season five. So they kissed. They kissed on camera. That is confirmed. This is a ridiculous episode to be getting kissing bonuses for. But... <laughs> Uh, and the next one I highlighted because I think we we missed it and should have done it when uh, they did the teleportation spell. Oh, I see. So, OK, so the prediction that Dennis is referring to here is from the season four recap as well. And it is that Tara and Willow will do a combined spell that will break the world in a good way. How does the teleportation spell break the world? Dennis? It definitely breaks the like power levels of like fighting um, fighting anybody. It like breaks fighting. 
That I mean, that's I, not my intent, though. I think yeah. I was intending like a more consequences. I mean, there are consequences for that. Like Willow has headaches, nosebleed, something like that. But I was thinking like uh, the way that the last season, season four ended, you know, with the crazy uh, like dream episode, something. Yeah. It's, or it's not about intent. It's not about intent. We oh, went that's over this. True. It's Never the literal yeah. interpretation. <laughs> I, I think that uh, I, it's hard for me to see that this breaks the world. I, that doesn't work for me. To me, it's like if a spell is so powerful, it breaks the way that fighting in the show has always worked. Then that's breaking the world. Um, okay. It's not creating I, new I, dimensions or anything. It's just. Like, I see your point, though. I do not agree. Uh Travis, do you want to be the tiebreaker vote? Or actually, Audrey, you get a vote as well, being on, of course. So, uh, Travis, what's your vote? And this is this is about some spell being a world breaking. Yes. I don't know. I got to think about it. Right. Okay, this, Audrey, this is do a you want to give wanna... Mike more points? I know that's what you want. <laughs> <laughs> I like helping him out, but I don't remember the specifics of the spell. So I am a bad Buffy viewer, even though I've watched it. <laughs> Okay, at so least I, five times i don't remember this particular that's you're you're, abs, you're abstaining from this then is that yeah i abstain i can't say positive okay. or negative on this one okay so travis it's up to you because i'm i'm voting leave it open dennis is voting confirm it i, I think we should just leave it open because <gasps> there may be a future spell that breaks the world more okay all right that is left open okay Season five, episode four, Michael, you predicted that Joyce is going to die of non-supernatural causes. This is, this is, uh, this is a super prediction. So that is a total so far of seven prediction points that you got out of Joyce's death. This is like a record for you. It's a buffet. I hope you're comfortable where your points are coming from. Well, I mean, this is. (laughs) Congratulations. Look, I knew this was coming since the 12th grade, okay? <laughs> you guys wouldn't stop talking about this episode. I knew she was going to die. All right, taking advantage of the past. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think we were in college. By oh, the maybe it was college. Out. My bad, my yeah. bad. Yeah. Whatever it was. 13th grade. I think it was 14. Um, 14th. <laughs> okay. So, uh, with all of those, several, several confirmations and just one denial. Uh, Michael, your accuracy has risen all the way up to a 65.02%. You got a full percentage point in your overall accuracy. That's amazing. And your, uh, your accuracy for the season shot right past 79, all the way up into 71.43 for season five. So this is like, an, I, I think this might be the most you've gained in a single episode. Well, this is the first super prediction, right? To like come back. I, uh, it's uh, maybe the first one you've confirmed. Yeah. Yeah. This is a really exciting moment. Thank you all. I have more predictions and uh, I have another super prediction. So uh, clearly we are going to get a Santa Claus demon episode. Prediction one. Prediction two, Joyce will get a funeral. Prediction three, Angel will attend said funeral. Joyce's funeral. Four, Don will go on a date with a monster. And my super prediction, maybe this is too obvious, but Buffy will attempt to bring Joyce back to life. I believe you've already predicted that. Have I? You yeah. have. You have. You can predict it twice. <laughs> no, Buffy, that's foolish. Buffy will try to resurrect Joyce, which was a super prediction 
Season five, <laughs> episode fourteen. I can't help it. It just. It's, <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I don't think you should double up on super predictions. That seems crazy. Although you can, I think it's within the rules as far as I'm concerned. It's a bit rule breaking. Okay, Michael, don't do it. Don't do it. Change it up. Change it <laughs> up. Recant. Recant that one. Okay. You've already super, predicted it. Make a different super prediction. Yeah. Give the man a break. All right. So then super <laughs> prediction. Uh, we'll, I'll change that around. Uh, super prediction will be uh, Joyce will get a funeral. Okay. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. This is just the contentious people on Buffy don't get funerals. <laughs> well, also... I love the prediction that Don will go on a date with a monster. I mean, I really hope that Don doesn't end up going on a date with Faith because then we're going to be back into bad territory. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> uh, just for the so the readers know, I did draw, I did put Faith in my new zine, Monsters Mugshots, which is mugshots of monsters. Oh, that's exhibit A. That's exhibit, exhibit A. A for Mike. <laughs> Dennis, the moment you publish that is the moment you're going to get a subpoena for that evidence. <laughs> we're going to retry this. Also, for the listeners, one of Mike's predictions recently is that Amy, the rat, has not been keeping up with school. (laughs) (laughs) I would not expect a rat (laughs) to be keeping up with school, but I think that's a fairly safe prediction that you've got going on, Mike, but I don't don't honestly remember. Yeah, Mike's been really good about this, you know, like uh, keeping things interesting because, uh, you know, if he just wanted to go for the points, it, there's nothing stopping him in theory from just predicting the obvious. Buffy will get like, punched, you know, yeah. another vampire will die. Oh, yeah. sure. Right. Giles will clean his glasses. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm curious about what's going to happen next for Buffy and Dawn, because without the anchor of Joyce in that household, like what's that household like? I mean, I think Buffy will take possession of the house, continue to live there. I mean, she's been out of the dorm for a while living with mom. It's almost like the writers uh, had already agreed this was going to happen. Um, so I think they're going to continue living in the, in the summer's house. Oh, I mean, I could say prediction would be like, Buffy will never move back to the dorms because she's not. So that's a, I'm going to put that prediction there instead of attempt to bring Joyce left tonight back to life. Buffy will not move back. Never move back. Let me make it more exciting. Never move back to the dorms. Uh, so you're setting another prediction that we literally have to wait till the end of the season, series to confirm or deny, maybe. Well, she's going to live in mom's house. Number. I'm a little concerned, though, about uh, her paying any- the mortgage, though, but I don't think the show cares about that. Are you going to do any Buffy or Tara or sorry, Tara or Willow predictions? Uh, I think I think that relationship's going to it's going to continue to exist. Uh, I don't I don't see anything negative happening for that. Right now, seems like they're going to stay together. Seems pretty stable. Stable and sweet. I'll tell you what, if Anya gets between them and fucks things up, <laughs> Anya's out of the show. <laughs> I gotta say, like, the, the Willow Terra relationship is probably the most stable, secure, normal relationship in the whole show which is great to watch i don't know buffy scott was pretty serious <laughs> <laughs> keaton keaton, keaton is key, key. <laughs> keaton is key 
Which one's Keaton? Buster Keaton. They have a discussion about oh, Buster Keaton. Never mind. That's Michael right. Keaton. Batman. That's Batman. Uh, oh man. I, did I tell you about that time I was at this is uh shouldn't be on mic, but there was a uh I was at a like um youth hostel in uh, Denver. And uh, there was this like old dude who is the weird old dude at the youth hostel. And I told him, I told him I was just, I had just, you know, spent a couple, I was in film school for a little while. I was a film major for a little bit. And he's like, oh, did you study Keaton? And I was like, yeah, we did look a little bit of, of that, that, you know. And he's like, man, Multiplicity is a great film. That's definitely one of the like high watermarks of cinema. It's like <laughs> it's like not even a particularly good movie for Michael Keaton. Like, that would have been the time for a perfect spit take. <laughs> I mean, if someone asks, like, "Oh, you were in film school? Did you?" and then boom, like that's a great like introduce <laughs> just random a wall film choice. I love it. That's a fill in the blank joke. There's not a lot of those. <laughs> God, this episode, can you, I was thinking about like, can you imagine like how you would feel if you were a, um, an advertiser who bought airtime during this episode where it's just like mommy. And then it's just like, buy Wheaties. Like, <laughs> you would like want your money back. Audrey, where can people find you? I'm on Instagram, Zindlerella, uh, on Instagram and I'm on Facebook. You can find me Audrey Zindler on Facebook. Uh, I'm on Twitter, but I'm more of a Twitter observer than I am a Twitter partaker, <laughs> tweeter. Um, yeah, that's where I'm at. Cool, cool. Um, and uh, I'm Dennis St. John, Dennis with one N. Uh, I'm at Dennis Comics. That's D-E-N-I-S-C-O-M-I-X on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, I got some new books, some new mini comics I just made, including a new uh, Buffy fanzine. That's all art from this podcast uh, and a new anti-monster PSA uh, little pamphlet. Um, so you can find my stuff um, through my Twitter or my Instagram or if you're or buy it in person if you find me. Um, and uh, I want to thank you all for listening and talking to us uh, at Buffy Virgin. Uh, mash that subscribe, like thing. Give us reviews. Um, visit our website, BuffyVirgin.com, for links to our blog, YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, reach out. Uh, we love to hear from you. And uh, we'll see you in hell.